If you consider Regent your home church, we're talking about something that maybe you've heard people say it, and you're like, what is this about? This seems so strange. But uh, we're talking about pulling out the plumb line. And we actually have a delicious treat to go along with it for you today. All right, pull out the plumb line. Now, some of you may know about plumb lines. Maybe you're here and you have an interest in building something one day. Like maybe you really want to build, um, you know, a cool app that like is really successful and blows up. Everybody downloads it. Maybe you want to build a great career. Um, Maybe you want to build a great family one day. Maybe you aspire to building a life of greatness. And I would say that's awesome. I hope that you do that. I want you to build a life of greatness. But I would say that if you want to build anything, whether it's a relationship or an app or a career or a friendship or anything, if you want to build something, you're going to want one of these. Okay, you're going to want to, would everybody say it with me? Pull out the plumb line. Can everybody say that? Pull out the plumb line. Now, a plumb line really has nothing to do with plums. Plums are just delicious treats. And we thought it would make this message memorable to give you a delicious treat. It has nothing to do with plumbing. It has everything to do with building. Uh, Construction workers actually still use these. Architects still use these. Um, All kinds of people still use these devices. It's, It's an ancient device. goes back thousands of years. But it still works today. And it's used to tell true vertical, and it's used to discover whether or not a wall is straight. It's used to determine whether or not a wall is straight. It's true vertical, and that's what you use it for. Everybody say with me again, pull out the plumb line. Now, we're going to be reading a story about a dude named Zerubbabel who had one of these in his hand. And he pulled out the plumb line. He actually was literally building something. He was trying to rebuild the temple, all right? I got a little boy, and sometimes when you have children, you got to put your kids in time out, okay? In time out. And if you read the Old Testament, God talks about his kids, Israel, a lot. And they had been being crazy and doing stuff like sacrificing their children to the devil and having orgies. And God said, oh, somebody needs some time out. (laughs) And so he sent them to time out in Babylon for 70 years. And it was pretty brutal the way it happened. They had to do something drastic to get their attention because they were doing drastic evil stuff. The Babylonians came and leveled the temple, demolished it, slaughtered them, dragged them away to Babylon. But then through all the epic prophecies and stuff, uh, Cyrus releases them. They go back, and the first wave of people go back are are some builders. It's a dude named Zerubbabel. There's another guy named Joshua. And they go back, and their purpose is to rebuild God's house. And to say, hey, we ain't never going back to Babylon. We're not going back to worshiping the devil, worshiping idols, sacrificing our kids, having orgies. We're going to worship the Lord. And so they start rebuilding the temple. But the thing that he's building isn't going well. It's not going well. And the work is stalled. But what's so amazing about Zerubbabel is that even though the work isn't going well, and even though he's got big dreams, but he's stuck doing small things, he still wants to build straight walls. Even though the work's stalled, Even though the work's small, he's still determined to build straight walls. And I would tell you that whatever you're doing in life, whatever you're 
trying to build, whatever you're after, you should learn a couple things from Zerubbabel. Look with me in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you'll become as flat as a plain. And he will bring forth the capstone. That's the final stone, man. It's like put a cap on it. That, that soda is bottled. With shouts of grace, grace to it. This is what the Lord says. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. And his hands will also complete it. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice Seven is the number of completion, in case you're wondering. The plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Whether you're a believing person or maybe you're a completely secular person, I would encourage you to listen to Zerubbabel. Because there's a time that's going to come where the work ain't going so well, where the work is stalled. But you know what? You still got to start small, building those straight walls. But there's another reason why I think you should listen to Zerubbabel. Because Zerubbabel was doing the exact opposite of what most of the people were doing. He was doing the exact opposite of what most of the culture was doing. He was doing the exact opposite of what Haggai, all these crazy names, right? Zechariah, Zerubbabel, Haggai. Haggai says in Haggai chapter 1 verse 2 what everybody else was doing. It says this, the people are saying... The time has not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. That kind of sounds familiar, like scathing, like crazily familiar to me. Eh, the time's not, I don't got time. Why haven't I gone to the crash course? I don't have time. Why don't I go to church this weekend? There wasn't time. Why don't I serve? It's not time. Oh, maybe one day I'll find the time. The time has not come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses? Well, this house remains a ruin. See, there they were refinishing a paneled house back then. It was like MTV Cribs, all right? It was like, ooh, man, you got the paneled house. That's luxurious. That's why some translations put it. Living in luxury, living large, living in a paneled house, they're basically like refinishing the floor of their garage. Who even does that, right? Refinishing the floor. They're, they're installing flat screen TVs in the guest bathroom so their cousins can watch Jimmy Fallon on the can. Like they're, they're, they're going all out, luxurious. Meanwhile, the house of the Lord lies in ruins. And, and what Zerubbabel realized, he realized this. He realized this, I got to put God first. It's not time for me to build my house. That ain't ever going to work. That's what got us into that mess in the first place. It's time for me to build the Lord's house. And Zerubbabel said, I'm going to make time to build the Lord's house. But everybody else said, oh, we ain't got time. We got other things. We got to live in luxury. We got to build these luxurious houses. Maybe if we find the time, we'll help you, Zerubbabel. Well, I know why I think that you secular people and us Christian people really should listen to this message? You're like, I don't even believe in God. Why would I make time to build the Lord's house? If you want to build anything in life, if you want to build a life of true greatness, if you want to build a life that lasts, 
I'm telling you, Zerubbabel's way is the only way to do it. What? That's ridiculous. Let's see. Let's, I'll explain why. All right. First thought from this passage, we'll go back to Zechariah, is this. Seek his goal. Be sustained by his fuel. Seek his goal. Be sustained by his fuel. Verse 6 to 7. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Zechariah had just given this crazy vision, this crazy dream he had about a menorah. Okay, I think Jewish. These guys are Jewish. A menorah in the temple of the Lord. But what's weird about this menorah is that there's olive trees and there's constantly olive oil being piped out of the trees into the menorah, constantly sustaining it, constantly fueling it. Okay, so it's, it's fueling the work constantly. And, and um, he's constantly being fueled by it, all right? And I don't know if anybody here, if you'd be uh, real enough, you know, be real, maybe, maybe you're like a better planner than me, maybe you're way smarter than me, but like anybody ever run out of gas? Anybody ever done like the rock of shame down I-84? Oh my, you got that, you don't even bring a gas can. That's how bad you are at planning. You got to go to the Chevron down the road. Like maybe you've been, I've been there. I know I've run out of gas a bunch of times. You know the day I stopped running out of gas? The day the company I was working for gave me a gas card. I stopped running out of gas the moment the company I was working for gave me a gas car. Because when you're doing somebody else's work, you get access to someone else's resources. When you're doing somebody else's when you're doing somebody else's work, you get access to somebody else's resources. And and um what I've really discovered in this passage is this concept. The Holy Spirit is constantly compared to fuel. The Holy Spirit is constantly compared to gas. The Holy Spirit is, is, is constantly compared to oil, all right? And oil was used for healing back then. Oil was used for fueling back then. And oil was used for polishing back then. It'd be used to heal wounds. It'd be used to, to fuel fires. And it'd be used to refine and polish metal. That's what oil was used. And, and if you're constantly running out of resources in your Christian life, if you're constantly running out of resources, even serving here at Reason Church, and you constantly find yourself in this spot where you're going, I'm burnt out, I'm telling you this. Maybe the reason you're running out of resource, maybe the reason you're running out of energy, you're running out of strength, you're feeling burnt out, is maybe because you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Because when you do it for the right reasons, you get access to his resources. When you're building his kingdom, you get sustained by his spirit. When, you, when you're doing it for his goal, you get sustained by his fuel. And that was the word that came to Zerubbabel. You know, some places are so good, you got to go back for seconds. And we just finished a series in King's Code about the Sermon on the Mount. And I just feel like we got to go back for seconds because it was so dang good. Let's look in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says this, seek, everybody say with me, 
We'll put it up there on the screen for you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. I told you when we were in that, uh, in, in that series that the word seek there means to crave. That you'd crave his kingdom. It's not like, oh, I got to go do God's work. No, that you'd crave the kingdom of God. But what I didn't tell you in that series was that the word, the word um, first there doesn't just mean like first on a list. Like, oh, well, I, I, I prayed to God in the morning and now I move on. He was first. All right, I went to church first day of the week. Now I move on. The word first there is the word protos. Okay? Want to know what we get from the word protos? We get the word proton. You know, sometimes a man just has to wear a stretch of pants. Beneath the clothes, you find a man. Beneath the man, you find his nucleus, right? Nucleus. That, 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 that. All right, Jack Black, anybody? Come on, people. Lighten up a little bit. For real. Take yourself too seriously. But anyways, you get the nucleus. And he's saying, I want to be the proton of your life. That if you make me the proton of your life, if you make me the center of your life, if you make your work orbit around me, you make that app that you want to build, you make it orbit around me. You, you make that the relationship you have with that guy, with that girl, with Bay. you make it orbit around me. You make everything orbit around me. Guess what? I'll keep it in orbit. I'll sustain it. I'll power it. I'll be the one that keeps it going if you make it orbit around me. But you can't misunderstand me because you cannot use God's kingdom to build your kingdom. That's backwards. That's what a lot of people think. They think, oh, I'll go to church and then God will bless what I'm doing. Then God will bless my kingdom. You know, if I go to church, then he'll bless all my things. And and really I'll use God's kingdom to build my kingdom. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is he's saying this, that you can do your work for his kingdom. That you can have a family that advances his kingdom. That you can have an app that advances his kingdom. You can have a dream that advances his kingdom. You can use the things in your life to advance his kingdom. And when you seek first his goal, you get sustained by his fuel. And this is why I'm telling you, you secular people, that if you want to live a life of true greatness, you have to follow Zerubbabel's example and build his house before your house and make your house orbit around his house. Is this reason. If you make anything, you know a good way to, describe the word orbit or describe the whole concept of craving his kingdom is the word obsession. If you make anything else in life your obsession besides Jesus, eventually you will find that your life is out of balance. Eventually you will discover that your life is in a state of chaos because if I make my whole world orbit around Reason Church, and I, I'm even saying that, you know, and I'm all about the church and I'm not about Jesus, you know what will happen? I'll neglect my family. And if you make your career your obsession, and you make your career your orbit, you know what will happen? You'll neglect your family. Hey, you make that relationship the center of your world? You make that your obsession? Your, 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 your grades will be worse because of it. I can know that from personal experience, man. I had like a 4.0 in college, and then I met my wife. I met this girl. It's like, woo, grades down in the toilet. But if Jesus is Lord of all, Jesus can be honored in all. That if Jesus is the center of your life, you can do your work for his kingdom, and the Spirit will come with you. 
And you can do your relationship for the kingdom and his spirit will come with you. And you can do your finances for his kingdom and his spirit will come with you. If you do your finances to the glory of God, you'll be energized by his grace. If you do your health for the glory of God, you will be electrified by his grace. If you do your relationships for the glory of God, you will be sustained by his grace. If you do every aspect of your life for the glory of God and look for ways to advance him, he's going to be your jet fuel. Can we celebrate that? And I've seen that to be true in my own life. But if you're always burnt out and you're always exhausted, it's probably because you're doing right things for wrong reasons. You're trying to use his kingdom to build your kingdom. But you got to build the house of the Lord first. Make, make time for him. Put him first. Make time for him. Make it orbit. Quit using excuses. Oh, well, I haven't found time for the house of the Lord. It's all lying in ruins. You know what? The house of the Lord is lying in ruins in Portland. You know that we lived in the most religiously unaffiliated city in the United States? You know, the house of the Lord is lying in ruins in this city. That's why there's so much sexual abuse and sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. And so many people have radically inaccurate ideas about Jesus, but they haven't seen that he's good. They haven't seen his heart. They know about an idea of Christianity, but they don't know the heart of it. And the house of the Lord lies in ruins. But if you make every part of your life order around him, You'll be sustained by him. All right, next thought is this. If you want to do big things, put your heart into the small things. If you want to do big things, put your heart into the small things. Uh, Zechariah 4.10 says this. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. You know, Konstantin Stalavansky, it's got a crazy name. All right, we'll put it on the screen. He was an actor. He had this to say. There are no small parts. There are only small actors. There are no small parts. There are only small actors. You know how true this is? You all watch Netflix. Don't pretend like you're like some like oh, crazy person living like a thousand years ago. Yeah, we all watch movies. We all watch TV shows. And it's so true. If you get a really phenomenal, outstanding actor, and, and there's somebody who just throws their whole heart into everything, they just are all, they do, they do small things with big heart. That character actor can be on the screen for five minutes and they can steal the whole show because they do it with their whole heart. But, you know, there's a lot of people that, oh, I got the small part in this show. I only got one line. I only got with this. I'm just do it half-heartedly. Hey, here's the trick of this text. This is, the things in the Bible aren't just true because they're in the Bible. They're in the Bible because they're true. And there are a lot of people who don't even believe in God who just realize this simple thing about the way he made the universe and they tap into it. And that's why they do great things and epic um, things that we look up to and admire. Let's go back to Zechariah, 4, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. If you despise the day of small things... You will always do small things. If you despise the day of small things, you'll always only do small things. But if you do small things with big heart, that's how you do big things. That's the irony of it. And a lot of people will sit here and they'll be like, yeah, I don't serve a church. I mean, maybe if, if they like, you know, ask me to do something influential. 
Maybe if I was asked to do something important, may, you know, maybe if I got more recognition, maybe if I had more influence, then I'd really do, okay, I'll serve, but I will always show up late and I will not do it with passion and I'll attend my action group like once a semester. Well, maybe if I had more recognition, then I do it with big heart. Then I do it seriously. But what you're realizing is this, you will never have the capacity to do big things unless you do the small things. And doing small things with big heart is the way you get the capacity to do big things. Jesus said, if you're faithful over a few things, I'll put you over many things. But here's the deal. If you're flaky with small things, you'll be flaky with big things. Throwing your whole weight into where you are is the way you get where you wish you were. And applying the plumb line doesn't just apply to how we serve here, because it does apply. We talk about it incessantly, that, that, that we don't care that we're a small church. If you, if you belittle our church, then, 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 then if you think that we're going to operate like we're in the little leagues, you're wrong. We're going to do things like we're in the big leagues, and that's how we're going to get into the big leagues. We're, we're going to believe we're going to have influence in this city, that we're going we're to bring the kingdom of God to earth in this town, and we're going to do it by running cameras. And we're going to do it by changing diapers. And we're going to do it by being obsessed with the smallest things. And, and we don't care that it's small because we're still going to build straight walls. And we don't care what we're doing because we care who we're doing it for. But here's the thing. If you apply this to your work and you apply this to your family, because you, you might build straight walls at work, but if you don't build straight walls at, at home, your wall is still going to crumble. Oh, I build straight walls on my Instagram feed. I curate everything. I do this. Yeah, but your life's completely out of balance because you don't build straight walls in the rest of your life. You got to do it out. You got you to apply the plumb line everywhere. And I'm not there, but together we're going to get there. Together we're going to get there. Um, the people who realize this are the ones who do great things. It takes 10 years to be an overnight success. It takes 10 years to be an overnight success. That's just a reality of the world. But here's what's so extraordinary. Colossians 3.11 says this. Whatever you do. Everybody say whatever. Whatever. And, and that's, your boss asks you to do something. You go, oh, whatever. He asked me to take out the trash. And then, and then somebody here at Reason Church is like, hey, can you show up on time and just make sure when you're scheduled you're there on time? You go, whatever. I got better things to do with my time. And, and then somebody's like, hey, would you help out? Would you, cl you like clean the windows? We just need some help. Whatever. I'm a big deal, man. I only do big things. Whatever. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the character of the Lord Jesus. Like, like his heart. Do it with his heart. How does Jesus do things? He does things wholeheartedly. Do things in the name of the Lord. Just giving thanks to God the Father. Man, it's a privilege. It's a privilege that I have breath in my lungs. It's a privilege that I can walk. It's a privilege that Jesus forgave my sins. Man, things aren't an obligation. They're an opportunity. Thank you, God, that I have a job. Thank you, God, that I get to do these things. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, you cannot do a mediocre job in the name of Jesus. You cannot do a mediocre job in the name of Jesus. You Nike employees get this. You get this so well. Why? Because that's called brand damage. Brand damage. Nike don't just let you put their name on anything. They only let you put their name on great things. And what you need to see is this. Some of you are like, oh, well, maybe if I was in full-time ministry, that would make sense for me. What the Bible teaches is that you're already in full-time ministry. 
if you call yourself a Christian, all your time is ministry. You're like, oh, well, did I really represent Jesus today? You represent Jesus every day. Are you representing him poorly or are you representing him well? I love the way Ivan put it. Ivan's such a great sound guy, such a cool guy. I love this dude. But you know what? Yeah, we could, we could celebrate him together. But I love the way Ivan put it. I was talking about this plumb line concept and like, we got to build straight walls, bro. We got to do everything legit. We're representing the king. We're representing Jesus. He's like, dude, heck yeah. He's like, when Jesus turned water into wine, it was the freaking best wine anybody ever drank. Man, it would put like the crazy vineyards in Oregon out of business. It was the best dang wine ever. And if you're going to do something in Jesus' name, you can't do it with half your heart. You can, only, you, you can only do things to God's glory with your whole heart. Because that's how he rolls, man. Anything else is brand damage. I'll show you an example of this from just the world. I mean, people get this all the time. Uh, there was a no-name actor in Hollywood in the 70s. Nobody knew him. He got a few tiny roles, and then he got asked to start starring in porn. He's like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm not going to do that. And he, like, tapped into some of the stuff Christians should be tapping into. He's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go be a carpenter. So he's working in Hollywood being a carpenter. And he gets hired by some no-name director he's never heard of to build some cabinets for his house. And, like, you know, the, the director's never done anything. The actor really ain't done nothing much so far. But he goes and he builds cabinets. He's a carpenter. And he applies the plumb line to those dang cabinets. And he does some really good cabinets. And so you know what the director does? He says, hey, why don't you come build sets with me? And so he comes in and he builds sets on some weird movie that sounds crazy, like that, that's way over budget, that seems like it'll never come together, it'll never work. And, and he's like, I'm going to build the best sets I've ever done. And the no-name director introduces him to another director who's got a little more influence. And this director really likes him. And he says, you should let him try some lines. He's funny. Let's let him try some lines. And so he tries some lines. You know who that carpenter building cabinets turned out to be? Harrison Ford. You know who he was building them for? George Lucas. But you know what? If he had done a half-hearted job on those cabinets, there would be no Han Solo BT dubs. He shot first. (laughs) All right? If he hadn't done those, if he'd done those cabinets the way a lot of us do our work, we would have no Han Solo. But he did the cabinets well, and that opened up the door for him to do the sets well, and that opened up the door for us to all know his name. This isn't just the Bible talking. This is just truth talking. This is just reality. That if you do small things with small heart, you'll always do small things. If you do small things with small heart, you'll always do small things. It's it's ironic. If you despise the day of small things, you'll always be stuck in them. But if you throw your whole weight into where you are, it'll take you where you want to be and where God wants you to be. All right, next thought is this. Scouters look for players. Scouters look for players for players. Um, I've noticed that NBA scouts, NFL scouts, um, you know, Major League Soccer scouts, they go to high school games sometimes. That's kind of surprising. They'll show up at high school games, show up at soccer games, uh, college games. They'll show up there. You know, they're looking out and they're looking at like high school kids, right? This is funny. I mean, they're looking out on the field at high school kids. You know, the one place that scouters don't look in the bleachers. That's the one place scouters don't look. Scouters, they don't look in the bleachers. That, that's not where they scout. They scout on the field. 
And so many Christians are like, well, why does God ever do anything in my life? And why does God ever show up in my world? Well, I, I want to be a part of big things. I feel like I'm influential. I feel like I'm important. Hey, scouters look for players. If you want to get recruited, you got to get in the game. <laughs> Can we celebrate that together, man? Just common sense. It just makes so much sense. Look why the Lord looks at Zerubbabel. It says, the hands of Zerubbabel, verse 9, have laid the foundation of the temple. In his hands will also complete it. For who's despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which go to and fro throughout the whole earth. You know, a, lot of, a lot of churches would read this text and be like, yeah, be like, yeah. Not by my, not by my, amen. Not by power, amen. But by my spirit, amen. And it'd be so, so, so about it. But you know what this text doesn't teach? That God gets his magneto on and through telekinesis lifts the bricks into place. And, and, and he's just like sitting back like, Lord, I just trust you so much. You are so good. Whoa, a temple. Whoa, what the heck? Like, ah, that don't happen. Want to know how it happens? It says with his hands. We should pray more. We need to be a church that pray more because prayer changes your heart. Prayer changes who you are. But God ain't looking for people just who make prayers. God's looking for people who make plays. He's looking for people who get in the game. That's why his eyes scan to and fro throughout the whole earth just that somebody would see his heart and say, God, you love us wholeheartedly. You love us wholeheartedly, so I'm going to love you wholeheartedly. I don't care if the wall is small. I don't care if I'm at a job that I don't like. I don't care if my church is small. I don't care if they don't treat me right. Lord, I'm going to do it with all my heart because you love me with all your heart. His eyes are looking for that person. He's just, you could be that person. You could be that person that his eyes are scanning for. You could be that person who just throws your whole self into it and says, I'm going to build straight walls even when the work is small. You know, we got a great team here. We got amazing team here at Reason Church. People I'm so proud of and people who serve wholeheartedly and I love them. Can we give them a hand, just people who make this place happen? You know, some of the people who serve on this team weren't even Christians last year. You go, I don't got time. Now's not the time for the work of the Lord. You know, some of the people have been serving 20, they've been Christians 20 years. We got people who serve on this team who are 60 years old. We got people who serve on this team who are 20 years old. We got people who used to be atheists. We got people who used to be Buddhists. We got people who are serving Jesus. But you know what? We need more people to get in the game because we believe guys, God's eyes are scanning to and fro throughout the whole earth that you'd own this thing. And I, and I know what happens in some of our minds, and we go, you know what? Like, why would I apply myself to my marriage? My husband doesn't. Uh, why would I apply myself to my work? You know, my boss, they, they never notice me. Or, or maybe, why would I do that? Like, why would I try doing that? Like, I'm, I'm never going to blow up. I'm never going to be famous. I'm never going to be on YouTube. That's, that's not, that's, that's, it's just not going to happen. It's not a reality. Why, why even try? Why even try serving at church? I don't got my life together. Why even try? You know, it's true. Your 100% may not be the same as someone else's 100%. It's true. 
You may feel like your 100% looks like somebody else's 2%. But the fact is, there may be an MVP on a team. But if that MVP on the team is on a team full of people who don't give their all, and they're on a team of people who only give 30%, only give 40%, you know what? They may have the most all-star player in the world, but unless the whole team gets in the game, that team's going to lose. And you are capable of more than you think you are. There is potential inside of you. You are capable of greatness. You are made in the image of God. You can do more than you realize. And we serve a God who who loves to do great works through foolish things, who loves to do glorious things through small things, who loves to use small people to accomplish great good in the world. And his eyes are scanning, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. Put it on the screen for you. It says, for the eyes of the Lord go to to and fro throughout the whole earth, searching to and fro to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And he wants to use you. He's delighted to use you if you just, if you just make up your mind that you want to be committed. You know, um, I'll give you a little example of this. You know, even lazy people come to life around someone they love. I want you to think of someone you admire. Don't be all spiritual. I mean, if, if it is a pastor, that's awesome. But think of who you admire. It could be anyone. If you could meet any person living on this planet, who would you want to meet? Maybe it's Drake. Could be Drake, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe it's Bono, you know. Maybe it's Elon Musk. Uh, could be, you know, I don't even know. It could be Beyonce. Like, she's the queen bee, all right? You love to meet Beyonce. Just, you're just real. You're just like a fangirl. You're a fanboy. Like, whatever. It's your crush. Think of the person you really admire. It could be Meryl Streep. Hey! <laughs> right? Like, could be that. Think of the person you admire most. If, if Elon Musk asked you to do something, you'd throw your whole heart into it. You wouldn't even care who he is. You wouldn't even care what it was. You wouldn't even care if you're equipped to do it. You'd be like, he asked me. Elon Musk wants to hang out with me. Elon Musk wants me to do something. Meryl Streep wants me. Bono wants me to do something. Pope Francis wants me. This guy wants me to do something. I'm going to do it with my whole heart. I'm going to figure out. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to clear my schedule. I don't care what else I'm committed to. It is off the books. It is off the calendar. They want me to do this. What I want you to realize is that the thing that you admire about who you admire most Whatever you admire about them, they possess that quality because they're made by God. What you love about Elon Musk, he possesses it, and Jesus possesses infinitely more of it. Whatever you admire about about that person, you just would die to meet that fashion designer. You would die to meet that person. You need to think your Christianity through and realize Jesus possesses infinitely more of that. And the king is coming. And the reason why we're obsessed with details, and we're not there, and our church doesn't have it all together. We got all kinds of technical problems, and we don't even know what we're doing. But you know what? I believe that the king is coming. And everything's got to be perfect. And we've got to get it right for him because we see what he's worth. And we see that anything good in the world is good because he's good. And that the king is on his way. And that the gospel presentation demands an excellent execution. And that that, that whatever we're doing is worth it. And you know what? You may need to be committed to less so that you can be more committed to what's most important. 
You may need to clear your calendar. You may need to clear your schedule. You may, may need to take some things off the books so you can be more committed to what can matter most. But honestly, some of the things that you're committed to and you're trying to make them your nucleus, they're the reason why you're miserable. And they're the reason why your life is out of balance. And they're the reason why, why you know, you, 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 other areas of your life are falling apart. It's because you've got the wrong center. You're building the wrong house first. You've got to build his house first. Um, Something I think about is, is this idea about our church and even about our lives, too, applying the plumb line to everything. And I'm not there. I don't got it together. <laughs> like, I got it all figured out. Is this idea, though, if there's one tiny thing in the church, like maybe you serve on a team and you're awesome and we're so thankful for you. We don't take you for granted. But, but like, if there's one area you're responsible for, if that was the only thing someone saw, would that make them want to know Jesus more and come back? Or might that make them want to run away? <laughs> This little, this tiny area of responsibility in your life. If somebody saw that part of your world, would that make them want to know Jesus more? Would that make them want to get out of here? And that's why I'm so obsessed. And people on the team sometimes think I'm nitpicky, but I'm like, no, we got to care about the curtains. We got to care about the way the band sounds. We got to do this because the king is coming. And I want people to know the king. And I want to do things wholeheartedly because he loved us with his whole heart. And if we don't do it wholeheartedly, people are never going to see that he loves us wholeheartedly. So we got to give it everything we got every single time we give it because faithfulness isn't simply not giving up. Faithfulness is giving it everything you got every time you give it. That's faithfulness. Aristotle said this. It's just, it's, just, it's just anybody who thinks in reality notices this. And the Bible says it too. I'm not trying to get you into a holy headlock. This is just truth. Aristotle said this. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act but a habit. If you go to the crash course, you join the church, you decide, you know what? I, I'm tired of sitting on the bleachers. I'm going to get in the game. I'm, I'm going to treat it like it's the big leagues, even though it's little league, even though it's t-ball. I'm going to pretend like it's, it's, it's major league baseball. You get in the game, you're going to hear us talk about the plumb line over and over and over and over again. But that's because excellence takes vigilance. Excellence takes vigilance. You got to keep doing it. You got to get the habit in there. And you may fall down. You may hit the tee ball over and over and over again, knock the tee over. But you do it long enough, you're going to start hitting home runs. You do it long enough, you will start hitting home runs. Want to know the way I became to be a passionate speaker? I became a passionate speaker by being a passionate note taker. Like, if you would have heard my first sermons, they were awful. Maybe you think this one's awful too. I don't know. Probably is. Whatever. But like, if you would have heard my first sermons, they were awful. Want to know how I became a, a passionate leader? By being a passionate follower. You got to be a passionate follower if you want to be a passionate leader. And I believe with all my heart that we are going to reach thousands in this city. I believe with all my heart that there are people who have wrong ideas about Jesus and they've rejected the real thing when all they know is a counterfeit. But I believe that his Holy Spirit is going to breathe on us and energize us and that we are going to reach so many people in this town that we're going to be astonished by what God does because he does things exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. What I'm trying to tell you is this, is that you are leaders. 
that you are leaders. And I believe that the people in this room are going to be the leaders of tomorrow. And so if you're going to be a leader in your community, if you're, I believe you're going to be a leader in your family. I believe that you're going to be a leader in your workplace. I see it in you. I'm talking to you. The person who thinks I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to you. I think you're going to be a leader in your family. I think you're going to be a leader in your workplace. I think we're going to be leaders in this community. But the way we're going to become leaders is by being great followers. So you better start taking notes. You better start listening. You better start following. Why? You better, you, you better, you better I, I believe that this church is going somewhere. So you better make it a priority to get here. I believe that God has tremendous things to do. And we should clear our calendars and watch out to see when the Holy Spirit shows up as we pull out the plumb line. Build straight walls. Build straight walls. Build straight walls. All right, we got final thought. We'll shut this thing down. This is all good advice. It's all great advice. Great advice. I mean, Aerosol will tell you it's great advice. Harrison Ford will tell you great advice. It's great advice. Whatever that weird actor at the beginning, I don't know what the heck his name was. I'm probably offending somebody who is of that ethnic descent. But anyhow, what they won't tell you is that we can't just get by on good advice. Whether you are a 20-year Christian, you've been going to church your whole life, good advice is enough. Whether you're a brand new Christian, good advice ain't enough. Whether you're not even a Christian, you're like, I don't think this is a, I think Christianity is all baloney, but that is some good advice. I want you to tell you, good advice is not enough. You need good news. You need good news. And it is such good news that Zechariah 3 comes before Zechariah 4. Would you read it with me? Now Joshua is another dude who was helping build the temple, who was putting God first, who was, who, was, who was in all in it. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see I've taken away your sin and I've put fine garments on you. I'm going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone set in front of Joshua. These are the seven eyes on the stone and I will engrave something on it. I will engrave an inscription on it. Says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. You may be a completely unbelieving person. You may be a person who thinks you're such an extremist, Jesse. You're such a radical person. You want to make Jesus the center of your world. I need you to think this through. In every area of your life, there are going to be seasons, maybe huge seasons, where what you put in is way more than what you get out. It's true in your work. It's true in your relationships. It's true in your, in your friendships. It's true in ministry especially. There are going to be huge amounts of time where what you get out is less than what you put in. And if your work is the center of your life and what you get out for a long time is less than what you put in, it will crush you. 
And if your relationships are the center of your life, and that time comes where what you get out is less than what you put in, it'll crush you, and you'll move on to the next one. It'll crush you. It'll devastate you. But the cross of Jesus Christ is the one place in the whole universe where the love we receive is always greater than the love we give. See, he was the fruitful branch. He was the fruitful branch when we bore no fruit. He was the straight cornerstone when our walls were freaking crooked. Last week, when you were giving God your leftovers, last year, last month, next week, next month, when I was giving God my leftovers, God gave us his firstborn. When I was giving God none of my time, he entered into time. Jesus loves you at your worst with all of his heart. And the more you delight in that, the more you'll give him all your heart. If you put the cross at the center of your life, it's the only power source strong enough. As you see the cross, as you see Zechariah 3, it'll fill you with the Holy Spirit and give you the strength to live out Zechariah 4. The more you see Jesus wholeheartedly loving you, that's the only way you'll be able to wholeheartedly love others. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to sing about the love of God. We're going to sing this together. Sing it out with us across the universe.